0: The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series.
1: Well, good evening. Welcome. It's so good to be here tonight. I have not really been in this space for almost two years, and so it feels interesting here. So it feels really really precious. Thank you for being here. Um, so I'm speaking this evening, not so much as a teacher, but as a student, as a fellow student of the Dharma you. And I'd like to share what has been alive in my heart and mind, recently. So, wow, it's a, it's a lot to navigate the microphone and the glasses, <laughs> <It> has, <laughs> earring, and yet we're here, in person. It feels just really special. So, you know, the world around us is changing, So much, and with a lot of uncertainties. And also my glasses fog up too. So whether we are aware or not, the body feels the impact. And if we listen, we might discover some tremors in our heart. And given what's around us and how they impact us, How can we not assume a stance of a student? Many things that are happening are unprecedented. And as to my mind, I have been observing more and more how conventional or habitual ways of viewing what is here obscures the reality and keep us stuck in the cycles. Cycles of harm that conditioned, that conditioned, um, conditions that created suffering in the first place. Of course, this idea is not new to you or to me, to students of Dharma. Are you hearing okay? I didn't know if you were adjusting the mic right Okay. Are you all hearing okay? Okay, so what is fresh in my mind these days are recurring and sobering reminders of the extent to which our views of reality is conditioned by the prevailing cultural values, historical practices, and how we individually and collectively relate to them. Some of our habitual conditions are really hard to see by ourselves, and we really do need each other to awaken to the Dharma, to see things truly as they are, beyond our mind's habitual projections. For example, I have been thinking about something so simple and seemingly benign, as the use of the word we, w-e, and I have reflected on how the word meant to include and create a sense of togetherness can actually exclude some people and cause harm. In predominantly white, cisgender, able-bodied space, Speaker's unawareness of the diversity and historical and current inequity harm those who do not fit in these categories. The speaker needs to own her own location within the scope of the diversity and inequity. And her speech needs to reflect that. And I'm the speaker solo tonight. So, in fact, in my sharing this evening, by my use of the word we, and I have already used that word many times already this evening, if any of you feel excluded or feel like you were made invisible, I offer my sincere regret and apology and promise to make effort to correct it. When I say we, or when I said we, did you feel dissonance or discomfort earlier? I say we, and most of you probably feel no dissonance. You probably feel included. In terms of race, it's implicit that this we is white because I'm addressing predominantly white-bodied people. In this context, my use of the word we is nuanced and complex. As a person of color, I bring my racial awareness to public spaces. Now, I invite you to raise hand if you were aware of your white body when you walked in the hall this evening? Are you being shy or nobody thought about it? <laughs> nobody thought about it? Okay. Well, now if you're a person of color, it's more likely the first thing you check is, is if there are other people of color in the space. So something most white people don't have a need to do. And it's a simple we can be really complex. And some of you might say, well, what does that got to do with Dharma? And I'd say, everything. But tonight I leave it at that. And if you have that question, let that be your koan or a riddle for your practice. So it really has been two years since I sit in this particular spot, and I I was assuming that this was going to be recorded and it's on podcast, and it still might be. So I'm going to speak as if it's going to be on the podcast. So, and for the listeners on the podcast, I want to describe this scene here. We are all masks, including myself. And actually together in this sense, in the sense of that we are wearing masks. It's a
0: we on target. (laughs)
1: Um, and I've actually been curious how the mask wearing breaks down some of our old conditioning and create new ones, in terms of our appearance. This summer, I walked around with big sunglasses and a mask, and even my friends didn't recognize me. And, and I admit, to be able to hide behind the mask and the glasses gave me a kind of strange relief. Um, So, anyway, that's just something I thought about. Uh, And let me share some more musings. Um, We like to think we know so much. And if we are lucky, one of the things... We know, we hope to know, is actually how little we know. Even if we remembered everything we ever learned since we were born, still it's probably less than 1% of knowable, right? <clears throat> For example, do you know how many cells you have in your body and what each of the cell is doing right now. (laughs) Does anybody know? You all have cells, right? Yeah, so, um, it's estimated that there are 32, I think, 37 trillion cells in in an average adult body. And by the way, thinking about the cells inside of you, did you happen to remember that each one of us, this is where we ask is really appropriate, each one of us started as one cell that gave rise to 37 trillion cells, and some new cells right now, are being born and some are dying and each cell self is self-organizing and functioning perfectly without us telling them what to do. So how how do our our heart and our body respond in the recognition of that knowing? Now, let's go way up. Do you know where we are? Where the Earth is, our home planet, is located in the Milky Way, in the universe, with estimated 200 billion galaxies. Do you have a picture of where we are? in the universe? You can Google it. You can Google the (laughs) location of Earth and you see it. It's, It's astounding. So it's good to know where we are when we feel lost. Do you know who your ancestors are? We are here because of them. Our existence is a result of an unfathomable long lineage or lineages of uninterrupted lives. To dismiss or forget that is denying an essential part of our humanity. So know your ancestors. Do you know if what you expect to happen for the rest of the evening will actually unfold according to your (laughs) expectation? I think it's really good. In fact, I've been trying to make it a practice to leave a space in my mind for the unexpected contingency to arrive at any moment and change me forever. It's astounding how little we know how the cells and the organs in our body and the planets and the galaxies, billions and billions and billions, billions and 1000000000000s each doing their own thing without us having to tell them what to do. And when things get really tough, sometimes it's good to remember these microscopic or telescopic reality that the ordinary mind can see. It loosens up this this tight uh, habitual mind. But some of what's happening around us are really hard stuff. And I wonder if that we that we talked about. I wonder if our we can really include those people in the news. So this week I learned that one in 500 Americans have died since the beginning of the epidemic. And I I didn't believe that. I said, it it couldn't be. It's it's too high. So I did the math. 664,000 deaths out of the population of 31.4 million. It's 0.002%. One in 500. And this number doesn't include those who suffer from long-term health effects on COVID or from the economic hardship or the kids and families affected by the closing of the schools. And one of us may not be here a year from now due to covid variants, And that could be me because I believe I am the oldest here. You think you're the oldest? How about you? Almost 73. Uh, let's see. I beat you. <laughs> <laughs> no, we are the oldest. <laughs> we are the oldest. we got to take care of ourselves. Right? So, it could be me. And how have I been responding to this knowing? How are you responding? According to Al Jazeera report on May 25th of this year, in Minnesota, police killings have actually increased since the murder of George Floyd. how many thousands of indigenous women and girls are missing or murdered? It's an epidemic. But we don't have the numbers because indigenous peoples have been made historically invisible and there aren't even records of their existence or their disappearance. And my heart hurts to know about tens and thousands of Haitian refugees at both sides of Rio Grande River that divides Mexico and the U.S. And we can't help but to notice that they are treated differently because they are black. And I personally know happen to know two Haitian asylum seekers who passed the border earlier in the summer, before 15,000 or whatever amassed at uh, the Rio. These two young men traveled through South and Central America, often on foot and eking out a living when they could. And they finally reached the U.S.-Mexico border after five years a treacherous journey northward. And now that they made it to this site, now they're being threatened to be deported. And many Haitian refugees say, and this I heard on the news, many say um, that they won't be able to stay alive if there's no back in Haiti. And some say it's better to die than to go back. And I worry about the people in Afghanistan, especially the girls and women. And this week I heard the United Nations say, we call it at least 400,000. 400,000 Yemeni children under five will die this year. (sighs) Can my heart take this knowing? I'm afraid my heart breaks too much and I won't be able to function. California wildfire reached the end and the fire threatened to kill even some of the most fire-adapted giant trees. And some of these trees get two, two, you know, over 200 feet tall and thousands of years old. And if their crown is burned through, then there won't be any seeds left. Just a couple of weeks ago, I visited a friend's cabin in the middle of pristine north woods. The leaves of the birch birches had already turned yellow and scant. Droughts killing them, said my friend in a summer face. And on the way to the cabin, I saw dozens of small tents and mobile shower units. Along the road. They belong to the firefighters fighting to contain Greenwood fire. Even here, in the land of 10,000 lakes, wildfires can rage. And I'm sure you have your own list of hard gnawings, maybe something very personal our heart hurts and the body contracts with fears and worries and the mind incessantly asks what are we to do? And now about this point there's a part of me that says okay, now I should hurry up and pivot and tidy up my sharing towards hope and relief. Right? Because this is so hard. And so I'm consciously resisting it. It's a very strong urge to make it all okay. I resist it right now. Because that urge is part of the habit. And it will keep the status quo. So bear with me in this pain. They are with me together, so I won't be alone, so you won't be alone." An eco-activist practitioner asked, Thai, that's how um, Thich Nhat is affectionately called. Thai, they asked, what shall we do? Sit on the cushion and meditate or climb on the fence? and fight for change. How many of us have asked that kind of question? I have. In knowing the suffering in the world and in us, our reactive question is, what shall we do? Meditate, maybe, if you're a good Buddhist. Or if you did something else, maybe you won't be a good Buddhist anymore. Do I do this? How do I do that? As if these two options pull us in opposite directions and we feel split. And the split, split is so painful and we attempt it to turn away or to leave. What shall we do? the activist asked Tignahan. He responded, what we need to do most is hear within ourselves the cry of the earth. Hear the cry of the earth, of the world, and hear it inside you. hear yeah, the cry of the earth inside you. Sometimes these songs cut through the delusion of dualistic view and invites us to lean into the immediate raw experience of what is here and now. Obscured by the mind's wish for things to be different than what it is. The immediacy of our experience in the presence is not divided until the thinking mind begins to evaluate, judge, and so often we jump to planning and strategizing before we really deeply listen. Hear within ourselves the cry of the world, the cry of the earth, cry of our kin, our own heart hurting. We live in a world created by the consequences of not listening, to be willing to stop and listen is a radical act. It really goes against the strong grain of our dominant culture. The conventional world sanctions consumerism, and inequity is written in the laws and destruction in our pastime disguises of greed, hatred and delusion. And the spiritual path is not to turn away from suffering, but to work with it and through it towards our liberation. I know it's easy to say. It's really hard to do. And I really don't have easy answers. But I want to invite you to keep, keep asking the right question as part of the practice. Not so much the answers, but make sure your answers are right, I mean questions are right question. And actually was Joanna Macy, the 92-year-old, very vibrant, alive, activist, author, and Buddhist scholar who told the story about Thich Nhat Hanh in a recent uh, documentary on her. And Joanna exclaimed, the bodies on earth are being traumatized. Of course we feel it in our bodies. It arises from a profound hearing. So let's not forget that either. We heard because we care. Our caring is our one knowing we have to claim and let that matter. And what can we do question come out of that caring. And it is a moment of discomfort when we feel we don't know what to do. We don't know what to do to alleviate the suffering. If we are privileged with having a lot of comfort and opportunities for distractions in our lives, it's really easy to turn away from the discomfort. And I do that too sometimes. But you know, Thich Nhat Hanh, Thai, Thai that means teacher in Vietnamese, um, is saying we are not going to know what really is the right response until we stop and hear the cries of the earth inside our own being. Recently, I heard a moving dharma talk by Jisho Sarah Siebert a Buddhist teacher and a social justice activist about her experience in Haiti where she worked around the time of the devastating, horrible 2010 earthquake. This is is what she said in her Dhammapada. Of course, this is an excerpt. There was a time when I was walking down the road in Haiti. I've been living there for some time and things were really hard. I didn't have a lot of support. I didn't have a lot of food. I didn't have an easy access to my sangha. I was really having a difficult time in my daily life. And in Haiti, there's a very felt history of slavery and and colonialism. At present day understanding of their economic exploitation by by outstanders and she's saying the Haitian people are very aware how exploited they are. So as a white person I dug myself out of a bottomless pit in trying to make new relationships. I just keep digging every day. I remember walking that road. And all these Haitian people were shouting things at me, and shouting things at me, and shouting things at me. And I wanted to sit down in the middle of the road, just not wanting, wanted to go on. So at this point, Jisho halted speaking, and I thought she was going to say, at that point she collapsed on the road with despair or self-esteem. Should she have given up and humbly accept her limits? Should she have gritted her teeth and continue the struggle? What she shared next was negative. She continued, I was going along and trying to greet people, even if just a brief interaction, something positive. But that moment, I just didn't have it. I stopped, and the strangest thing happened. I just felt this top of my head open, and I felt this incredible rush of energy that didn't come from me, and I felt it go down the bottom of my feet. And I looked around and I didn't have to do anything. And I kept walking, but it felt so different. I felt so intertwined with that place. I felt so intertwined with that place. So, Jisho commented that what happened was nothing rational or logical. When she opened herself fully to what was happening inside of her and around her, boundaries of the sense of separate self kind of melted away, I think, and she connected with the land and its people, a new energy that did not come from the self infused her entire body and renewed her. She said, quote, A universal being of awakening is accessible absolutely every moment and in every space. And she still works with Haitian people after 11 years, and Haiti didn't get better after the 2010 earthquake. are a nation of not very good listeners. To stop and listen deeply, humbly, letting go of preoccup- preoccupations, I say again, is a radical act of courage and love. I want us all to be radical. It takes a lot of courage to stop and be fully with discomfort. First, you have to slow down enough to notice. A lot of times, you know, it happens so fast, we feel discomfort, and then we turn away already, and then we're already distracted. So, to notice our own discomfort is an important first step. I don't want to notice to stay open what it's trying to say. And when I feel shaky inside, overwhelmed by suffering in the world, or overtaken by my own anxiety or insecurity, I often turn to Kuan Yin. So, There's a statue of Kwame over there. And we'll talk about these guys in a minute. So, on one of my altars at home, I have a statue of Kwame. It's about 11 inches tall, in, in pristine white porcelain, with exquisite details and it has uncommon features for Bodhisattva of compassion. She sits cross-legged on an elephant. <laughs> and in her left hand she holds two long stems, long stems, and one one has a lotus bud, and the other stem is, is a leaf, a lotus leaf. And and her left hand is in abhaya mudra, no-fear mudra. So mudra is a symbolic gesture of the hands and fingers, often used in Buddhist and Hindu art and ceremonies. And if you notice, any, any of the Buddhist statues or paintings, they are always in some kind of mudra gesture, symbolic gesture. So I'm going to talk to people who are listening on the podcast. So if you're listening to this on the Dharmasi podcast, you can raise your right hand upright, palm facing outside. And this is a Mudra, mudra of fearlessness. Mm-hmm. And here in the Dharma, Dharma Hall behind me, on the altar, what are they doing? Have you ever noticed that? Yeah, both the the Buddha is doing Abhaya Mudra with one hand and his other hand is in Samadhi, Mudra of Samadhi. And she is Mahapajapati, Buddha's aunt, his adoptive mother and first woman admitted. Um, to be ordained by the Buddha, and she's also doing that. So you know, every time you come to this dharma hall, you know you look at them and they say, "Don't be afraid." Isn't that cool? So, um, but on my home altar, I was curious as to why. Um, this particular kornin um, that represents mercy is making a sign of fearlessness. And I was like, like, What's the connection? In early Theravada scriptures, fearlessness is briefly mentioned as one of the acts of generosity. And the scripture says, The giving of fearlessness is the giving of protection to beings when they have become frightened on account of kings, thieves, fire, water, enemies, lions, tigers, other wild beasts, dragons, ogres, demons, goblins, etc. And of course, this was written 2,000 years ago. 2,000 or so. So how do we translate this to make it relevant to us today? Who are today's kings and thieves, lions and goblins? Giving of protection implies someone powerful, such as king or enlightened being, protecting those who are powerless. And today, I think we know no wise leader or teacher can singularly protect us. Wouldn't that be nice if that's the case? We have seen what happens when power flows only one way, top to down, from the powerful to the powerless. The civilization drives that. It keeps the powerless powerless. In 21st century Buddhism in America, we are coming to appreciate that the power is sustainable and life-giving when it's reciprocal and shared. When the power is reciprocal, giving and receiving, give and take, that it's shared. So giving your fearlessness today, is perhaps about inspiring and empowering each other to take courageous act of awakening, listening, listening, and using each of our own agency to help each other liberate. Because I really do believe we need each other to be complete. And of course our practice, this practice that we do is the best protection. But in this individualistic culture, sometimes we forget when we sit on the cushion and close our eyes, we practice for all beings too. And it's good to remember that others are practicing, and when others are practicing, we benefit. We are porous and we are interconnected. Contemplating in front of the statue of my home altar with the raised right hand in the mudra of fearlessness, I saw in my mind's eyes the written character for Kunming or Kanzeon in Japanese, In Japanese. Kanzeon, one who hears the cries of the world. So, the Kwan end of my altar tells me, I, I kind of go in front of her every day and I, I listen. And when I listen, recently, Tell me don't be afraid when you hear the cries of the world hear it inside of you hear deeply and let your heart break and stay steady and open and when I do that love that does not belong to me that boundless love to which I belong, feels me. Like Jisho in that story, who felt so intertwined with the place and the people. When I keep my heart open, as it feels breaking, something larger and deeper emerges, almost feels like outside of me, and I feel my interconnection to all beings, the true we, W-E, and surprisingly, surprisingly I'm buoyed by it. Did I say the word right? Yeah. Buoyed, lifted by it. Then I know a next small step will be revealed to me in this way. It's a small knowing that goes a long, deep way, I think, reaching all of my 37 trillion cells inside of me and going out to the galactic universe. So, so the title of my talk is what um, did I say? Hear? hear the cries of the earth inside of you. And I didn't want to say the title till I was finished. Um, so I want to wanna ring a bell to just kind of settle in with this sharing. And then we have about ten minutes. Um, for comments, and hopefully sharing with some of your own stories. So let's just sit with that for a moment and see what's arising in you.
0: shot for their tusks. It was completely just out of blue. You no, know, I hadn't been watching commercials or anything. <laughs> it, it was just really up, And it was horrible. And I really felt what you're saying, like that anguish, like, I have to do something. I looked online and you know, found the organ- organizations that seem to be doing as much, and they're rated charity and so forth. And I donated, and then I thought, well, what was the point of that? How is that going to help? And that I got to sit with it, kind of like what you were saying. And um, of course, then I researched it, and people seem to be willing to do something if they can be assured that their actions will affect the outcome. And that is selfing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't, I mean of course it matters to me deeply, the elephants, but Mm -hmm. what I can control is is that when I see that, I want to move towards it. Mm And that's the best I can do. I can't control the outcome. Okay. Thank you. Well, thank you. Uh, last week, as I recall, my talked about patients, the virtual patients. And for me, I've been thinking a lot about how much I uh, was set off in the world And now I'm old, and it didn't happen all very well. With um, the patience to still here, I'm thinking the connection. To just have the patience to still let the cry of the world be present inside, and do the best that I can, or And that that um, that is enough. There, there can't be any more. And. Um, So I was thinking that that some of what wants, where I want to shut it off is because I feel impatient that Mm -hmm. things aren't getting better or fixed or whatever. It's related to that I have to let go of that and just be patient. Sounds like a Thank you. Thank you.
1: Can I ask you a question? Um I was wondering um if you got how uncomfortable did you get when I had all the list of such difficult news and how you were dealing with it It
0: was a comfort What's that? It was a comfort Comfort to not be alone ah. <clears throat> um, in response to your question, I felt a lot of guilt. Um, for some statistics I didn't even know. It. And truthfully for me, growing up in a Christian home, that sort of savior complex is very you're on the sort of to save the world and I think like having let go of a lot of that, like, was teaching it's like I still believe in that responsibility to each other. And just hearing those statistics, and even some of the ones that I don't know, it's just like there's a moment of pain in that. Have I discharged some of the responsibility I have to my fellow humans? And and that's kind of an icky feeling. Oh, and. Do no harm of him, and that is um, pain, right? okay. But this doesn't—it's not an occasion to judge myself. I don't know. And then I just start thinking in
1: circles, and I just keeps going. Sometimes, when we feel guilty, um, we kind of believe what the guilt is telling you. tells you who you are is most likely not maybe really who you are but it's a kind of a habitual way of responding you know you talk about growing up in a Catholic home that's 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 what's been taught and if we could um often it's it's not helpful to to lean into the guilt story and believe it. But to to be with the discomfort in the body sometimes is helpful because guilt is already telling you a certain story about who you are. But you can be with the discomfort in the body before it becomes a story. And just really be willing to be with that experience in the body And often, it takes you someplace that the Hill story doesn't take. So that's something
0: you you could try. Mm -hmm. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org.